Hello there, cultists. Has it really been a month since we last saw each other? We're at the beginning of February, officially one of the most depressing times of the year. But we got you back with today's episode. Hopefully, we'll lift your spirits enough to keep you ticking over for a little while longer. Remember, good times are coming wherever you are. I'm DK, your host on uh, these little sojourns into Fondly, or not, remembered cinema from yesterday. And what better way to keep us going through these dark winter months than with a comedy? And today, do we have a comedy for you? No, seriously, do we? As we look at Spielberg's infamous 1979 ensemble, some would say misstep, 1941. But as always, I'm not alone in this endeavour. I'm joined by a couple of guests. Uh, our first one, you've heard her on the regular Silver Screen show, but today she's making her first appearance on Cult Classics. It's Adrienne. Hello, everyone. Yay. It, it's nice to have you here, Adrian. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Southern California is cold, but not cold as like Illinois or something right now. <laughs> well, welcome to your first cult classics. Uh, you'll be pleased to know there are no quizzes here. Oh, thank you. <laughs> no problem. And also joining us today is a guest who's been itching to get on the show for some time now. And with this title, he's finally got on his chance. It's Rob. Hello, how are you all doing? Uh, I'm all right, mate. How are you? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. I'm very nice. Well. Nice one. Do you want to tell the uh, the listeners a little bit about yourself? You can, you don't have to, it's completely <laughs> Uh, well, you can find me on Twitter uh, under the pseudonym of Resting Dad Face, um, <laughs> basically because I just have an opinion about everything. And I'm now a evil, evil, dark consultant who goes around companies telling them what they should do. Uh, they don't listen, and then I tell them <laughs> what they could do, and they pay me loads of money for it. So, uh, so yeah. Oh, um, and I, I do, I do have a qualification in films. I, oh, I, have an, I have an A-level in uh, film, which is, um, <laughs> which is very odd. Yes, I have a D in uh, films. <laughs> so, it's, uh, it's more than me, mate. <laughs> well, it's, it's, I've actually got two A-levels in it. It's uh, A-level in film, which was around the whole sort of filmy genre stuff. We spent a lot of time on, um, oh, what do you call it, Orson Welles. Uh, classic black and white rosebud, Citizen uh, oh, Kane. Citizen Kane. Yeah, and uh, and uh, French film noir, which basically is black and white and ladies smoking cigarettes and uh, blokes going boff, um, and that's about it really. <laughs> uh, and the other one is it's more of a technical one where you actually get to use. Uh, they weren't film cameras, but they were video cameras and um, editing suites and a whole a whole load of stuff. And I did actually get a C in that one. So my my ability to make stuff is better than to actually remember stuff. So <laughs> this is going to be quite an interesting one. <laughs> well, I've got to ask, because we're bringing Citizen Kane up. Mike will probably be listening to this. We had an argument, Mike and myself, the other day. If, while the TV was on, if on one side there was Citizen Kane, and on the other side, there was Ghostbusters, the original. Which one would you go for? Ghostbusters. Thank you. It's, it's so, simple. So there you go, Mike. Up oh, yours again. Citizen <laughs> Kane is, is, is a very good classic film. Mm -hmm. And that's where it ends. Because it's it's got nothing to do with Orson Welles. He was just a good actor. And 
everybody else made that film the, the so-called greatest film ever. So his, his lighting director, his sound director, his film editor, all of them had the ability because he just turned around, did a bit of a Steve Jobs and said, just go off and do an amazing film and I will act <laughs> in it. And, and that's all it is. So it's not Orson Welles at all. It's just, it's, it's just a film for God's sake. It's there uh, to entertain and for you to enjoy. I'm liking this. I'm liking this so far. <laughs> as, as I say, it's taken a little while for you, uh, for this recording to come about, but hopefully it'll scratch that itch you've been suffering from. Maybe even the recording <laughs> one too. Uh, but what we normally do with first timers on this show is immediately drop them on some metaphorical island and ask what their mm. desert island disc is. It gives the listeners a little glimpse into their taste, if not their psyche. And it's always fascinating to to me to see what everyone would choose so i'm gonna ask both of you because although adrian's been on the shows before she's not been on cult classics so adrian rob if you had to choose one and one only favorite cult movie one that by far outshines everything else you've seen what would your choice be and why and i'm going to come to you first on this one adrian oh okay if i'm alone i'm going to want a happy movie um, I'm not going to want to be depressed. So I'd say no clockwork orange. Thank you. Um, <laughs> no train spotting, <laughs> but, um, let's see, maybe Rocky horror because then I can sing and dance and stay sort of sane. If that's not available, I guess princess bride. <laughs> no, 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 no. We, we always go with your first choice. Here. So okay. That's another one for Rocky horror. You wouldn't yeah. believe how many people have chosen that over the months. Well, you can sing and dance and you know, it's got happy moments and. Etc. I'll, I'll be completely honest with you. I've only ever seen it once. We're doing it later this year, and I'm I'm not entirely looking forward to it because oh. when I saw it, I wasn't in the best of moods, and I just okay. thought, is is this thing never going to end? <laughs> so <laughs> it really takes a couple of turns, doesn't it? Yeah. You take a turn this way and a turn that way. Yeah. By the you. time they're all jumping in the swimming pool, I, I was thinking, all right, all right, come on now. But uh, <laughs> like, yeah. hey, don't, don't dream it, be it. <laughs> <laughs> And what about you, Rob? If you had to choose one, what would you pick? Oh, that's a very tricky question. Uh, there is so many. Um, my first choice would actually be Some Like It Hot. Um, basically because it has the best line ever in it right at the end. Oh, what is the line? I don't well, know. Well, nobody is perfect. And, it, oh. and it's basically... <laughs> Um, so the, the premise behind some like it hot, uh, for those you don't know, is uh, two guys get spotted by the mafia uh, and the mafia want to kill them. So they get they dress up as uh, ladies and they play um, trombone. Is it trombone? Yeah. Bull, fi bull fiddle and trombone. Or is it? I don't know. Um, but they're, they're, they're stuck in Florida and one of the guys, this other guy, this rich millionaire falls in love with him. And at the end, the guy's confessing that he's not a woman, he's a guy. And the millionaire says, well, nobody's perfect. I just think it's, <laughs> oh, it's superb. There's some good choices there. So thanks for that, guys. So uh, now we know a little bit more about you. We'll jump straight into uh, to looking at today's movie. Now, regarded by many 
as the first serious setback in Spielberg's career. 1941 began life when Robert Zemeckis pitched the concept to John Milius as a serious depiction of real-life 1942 Japanese bombardment of Elwood, California. The subsequent false alarm of a Japanese air raid on Los Angeles the 1943 Zoot Suit Riots, and an incident in which the US Army placed an anti-aircraft gun in a homeowner's yard on the main coast. The story only became a comedy after Steven Spielberg became involved and the script was rewritten during the production of 1977's Close Encounters of the Third Kind. The film premiered on December 13th, 1979, and received mixed reviews from critics, and that's putting it mildly, with negative comments made concerning the script, pacing, and humour, but praise towards the visual effects, sound, production design, and John Williams' score, together with the cinematography. Uh, it was not as uh, financially nor critically successful as many of Spielberg's other films until that point, notably uh, Jaws and the aforementioned Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Because of this, the film has often been erroneously referred to as a box office bomb and a failure. But in actuality, it grossed $90 million worldwide and returned a, uh, a profit, making it a success. It also received three nominations at the 1980 Academy Awards. Now, the film's popularity uh, increased after an expanded version, which was uh, restoring the movie after the studio demanded cuts for the theatrical release, aired on TV in the 80s. Despite it still proving divisive, it's gained popularity as the decades have passed with subsequent television broadcasts and home video reissues, raising it to cult status. And 1941 is currently uh, on various streaming services, depending on your location, as well as being available on DVD, Blu-ray, and I believe in 4K in some territories. Now, I distinctly remember the first time I saw this one, well, at least some of it. I was quite young, if I recall, maybe, what, 11 or 12? I was staying at my great aunt's who would, I guess the term would be babysit me when my parents were working or went out. And one evening I was round at hers and according to the TV guide, the movie Blazing Saddles was supposed to be on TV at a certain channel at a certain time. We flicked <laughs> over, expecting the movie to start and uh, we were around an hour early. And so instead, we uh, what we got was this insane, chaotic mess that instantly had me hooked uh, just through the sheer lunacy on screen. We came on midway through the uh, the aircraft above LA battle, and I was I was just hooked. <laughs> Blazing Saddles was just part two of a comedy double bill that night, and I tracked down 1941 as soon as I could after that to watch it all, and the rest is history. I know you hadn't really seen this one until it came up on the schedule, isn't that right, Adrian? I had never seen it. I've seen every Steven Spielberg movie, especially when I was little, but I'd never seen this because it just didn't look that great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, what about you, Rob? What was uh, what were your first experience with this one? Do you've got any special memories? So um, this, yes, Christmas. So I think it was on I think it was, I think it must have been either 1984 or 1985 uh, and my brother my brother's 10 years older than me um, and he'd recorded it and he told me the sort of the day day after he says oh you got to watch this film 1941 it's hilarious now at the time because it had John Belushi on it and Dan Aykroyd who are two of my favorite actors and comedians going um I basically went, oh, it must be like the Blues Brothers. 
it wasn't, but <laughs> it was, it, I watched it and my mouth was slack jaw from the beginning up until the <laughs> end. So um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And I, I saw it, I think when I watched it, it was Christmas Eve. Um, so I still, I see this, uh, that and Die Hard, this is a Christmas movie as far as I'm concerned. So, <laughs> you know, it, that, that's, that's the first time I saw it. Yeah, <laughs> Santa I, Claus, Santa Claus is in it, therefore it's a Christmas yeah, movie. Yeah, he's, <laughs> he's firing at the aircraft. <laughs> yeah. Am I right in thinking that you've, you've watched it recently for the show? I, I have. Uh, so I watched it about two weeks ago, and I'm about three quarters of the way into it now. I guess. Oh, wow. so, uh, it's not that yeah. long a film, mate. Jeez, it's two hours, and there's so much YouTube content to go at as well. You know, <laughs> you get distracted very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> have your uh, have your thoughts changed on it since you first saw it? I mean, it's it's now well over forty years old. Do you think it's aged well? Not so much. Um. It's it's one of those, I, I, I always find it interesting, whenever you watch something when you're a kid, and then when you're a teenager, and then when you're in, as an adult, you, you see different things and you find different things funny. So, you know, the, the bits with um, slim pickings in the submarine. I, I laugh, I, you know, I remember laughing at that when I was a kid, and now I'm laughing at it even harder. Is that yeah. is, is is lying there that says you know you ain't going to get shit out of me? I've been constipated for a week, as he's about to down some prune juice. I just found that funny as a kid and as a teenager. Now being a fifty-year-old adult, I I can relate. So I just find <laughs> that line even funnier than what it is now. Um, and also noticing the old, yeah, you know, some of the characters in there. So one of the characters in there uh, is was Max out of uh, Heart to Heart. I didn't oh, yeah. realise that when I was a kid, but I do now. So, yeah, Lionel Stander. Exactly. So it, it, it's stuff that comes out even more and, and sort of seeing a very young John Candy as well. Um, again, an, another actor I loved uh, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager. So, so yeah, diff different bits of that come out. That's funny. It's still an odd film. Because it it's not what you expect from Steven Spielberg. Yeah, his, his, his films before that was Jewel, uh, Jaws, and uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Three very, very, very brilliant films put together. Um, and I, I remember you know, reading articles about this particular film, and they were basically saying, oh, yeah, well, Spielberg shouldn't do a comedy. I'm sorry, have they not watched Close Encounters? Have they not watched Jaws? The comedic moments in those films are absolutely glorious. I think we should get a bigger boat comparing the size of like scars on their legs and stuff like that. Yeah, that, that's funny. Have, have they looked at the shark? That is hilarious. <laughs> that's so a say that, Exactly. To say that, say that Spielberg doesn't know how to do comedy, that, that's wrong. It, it, um, I just think there was an element of snobbery. Um, They're expecting him to be a serious director, and you know, it's, he was still finding his feet uh, at that time. And it's just, a, it's just a lovely, well put together film. 
Yeah, I do remember one of his uh, friends, who has remained nameless, cowards, uh, saying at the time, why is he doing a comedy? When has Stephen ever been funny? Ooh. And it, it does have a lot of jokes that I think fall flat, but it's just such a scattergun approach, but you can't help but think there are some funny parts in it. Having said Ooh. that, I, I, I do think there are certain elements, I mean, we'll probably get to it as we go on, that maybe haven't aged as well as uh as others so uh yeah what do you think adrian do you what i mean you you've experienced this for the first time in the uh the last few weeks so coming out with fresh eyes what are your impressions well the first time through i i just didn't like it i thought oh no <laughs> you know this this is just not getting me i'm not interested in it i don't love any of these characters i, I watched this whole movie and i don't really care about any of these characters except maybe one but then i decided to watch it again and then i watched it again so i mean i i didn't hate it i see that there are some strong points to it i see some some funny things but i can also understand the criticisms of it but uh, I like some of the characters at at the end now. So, and at least there was a a, a good happy ending. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. But I understand why they didn't. If he was trying to do something like you know meatballs or um, Animal House or you know the slapstick stuff, yeah, a lot of it didn't stick. But I think letting the like letting um, Dan Aykroyd maybe fool around and do some stuff and you're lucky you got to get some good scenes with him you know maybe him just doing some funny things it, it helped and there are some yeah. funny jokes there's some funny jokes and and the slim pick and stuff it i like him he's a he's a funny guy but um i thought the funniest line was when he got serious because that knife came out like he said something <laughs> like what you doing with that knife boy you know he, he went from being kind of goofy to being real serious and that made it funny yeah 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 i think the problem with this is and a lot of the critics said there is just way too much in it and i think because of that there there's quite a, a few different genres of comedy i mean as you've mentioned there's like you know you've got your animal house you've got your kind of sex comedy subplot going on you've got some pure slapstick it's it's just all over the place. I mean, if you if you if, even if you just look at the the movie poster, the movie poster gives you some kind of indication of just how chaotic this thing is, and I mm. think that's where it started to fall down for a lot of people. I mean, it it, it does have that element of chaos to it, but it, it's something I appreciate. I I, I love that about it. It's to me, it's like watching how I would imagine a live action Muppet show is. Yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Definitely need one of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean Spielberg himself he said some people think that it was an out of out of control production but it wasn't. What happened on the screen was pretty out of control, but the production was pretty much in control. He says he doesn't dislike the movie at all. He's not embarrassed by it. He mm -hmm. just thinks it wasn't funny mm. enough. Yeah. Now Having said that, some scenes were so noisy during filming, the crew couldn't hear him yell "cut." So mm. he had to have he had to fire a prop machine gun in the air just to get the action to stop. Jeez! <laughs> and I I just love that little analogy. To me, it just sums this movie up. 
<laughs> Maybe. Mm. I think so, there, one of the um, storylines could have gone away altogether and it would have been a better movie. I I'm, was not comfortable with the way they wrote the Treat Williams character. And I love him. I mean, I've watched Hair kind of religiously and I just love Treat Williams. Um, same year, by the way, that he did that this came out and Hair came out. But oh. um, I didn't like the rapey stuff, like pulling her under the car and, mm. and all that stuff. I was like, I didn't need that. So, so, so many severe scenes uh, to make Wally the hero. You know, yeah, I, I thought Treat was a little severe. And if it was made today, I don't think it would be so severe like that. No, it's, I do think that he, they, they did try and balance it out with the, the Wendy Jo Sperber subplot where, mm -hmm. you know, he, he kind of gets mm -hmm. <clears throat> his comeuppance in the end, but it, it hasn't aged very well. And it's, mm -hmm. it's not very comfortable to watch the bit where, yeah. as you say, he's dragging her under the tank. Yeah, I didn't yeah. Yeah. like it at all. Yeah. Yeah, and it's such yeah. a shame because Treat Williams is such a, a really good actor and he has he got some is. great comedic timing. He does, and he's funny, but they just made him too severe and they kept those scenes in. And, you know, John Candy is a racist. I, I, I didn't like because I love him so much. Uh, but I think if they would have lost Treat, made, made the Treat Williams a little bit less severe, it would have been funnier because there are some really heavy mo moments. The whole Dumbo thing. You know, mm -hmm. Dumbo, during that time, that movie did actually provide people some escapism from mm -hmm. from the uh, Pearl Harbor attacks and everything. And and just the scene uh, in the movie theater when uh, the baby mine scene like that, that was a beautiful scene. And during war, you're going to you have just moments where, you know, people still need some comfort. Mm -hmm. I yeah. like that. Yeah, I like that part. Yeah, I, I I also like the scene a little later on, where he's just having fun and singing along with the uh, when I see an elephant fly. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. just really getting into it, and he's looking around at you know his fellow uh, <coughs> his fellow right. servicemen and just like trying to get them to gin them along into it. I do I I think it's got some fantastic moments in that maybe mm. he's just a little let down by the thing as a whole. And when you are watching something like that. And it cuts to a scene that you're not particularly comfortable in. It can throw you off balance. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it I mean, can, I, yeah. I'd, certainly when I was watching it, um, yeah, a couple of weeks ago, I was going, I don't recall that being that way. But as you said, as you're getting older, you watch it now and you go, ooh, no. Yeah. That, that should be edited now. Mm -hmm. That should be edited mm -hmm. now. And yet you still have the bits with um, Eddie Deezer and they're up in that uh, Ferris oh, wheel. Gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That's like, great. I had never feel for the guy. <laughs> I, yeah, but I, funny thing. I don't remember seeing him in other movies. I mean, I, I think he was in the Porky series. Is that right? Mm, yeah. yeah, I never watched any of those. Um, Star Trek was out. Sorry. So Porky's got the got the boot um, <laughs> there was something star trek to watch but um he is the voice of the of a character in one of our little favorite cartoons in our house and oh, that, that is how i know him no it's called oswald it's oh. about a little octopus and his friends and he plays this little gentle guy and and we love him for that but i i since i had never seen it when the um mannequin puppet 
came out that can't remember what it's called. <laughs> yeah. I laughed so hard. I laughed so hard. I laughed at that thing through the whole movie, especially when like he's more engaged in the conversation than the actor <laughs> is. I thought that was well done. Yeah. I, I there do were like so many storylines, and theirs was one of them. The people stuck up on the Ferris wheel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I do love that that little bit where she, she just says, scared to heights, huh? Me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and him coming up first out of the water. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Water coming out of his nose. And then, and then at the end, the, the, where everybody's like kind of recovering, uh, the destroyed house is asleep and the, yeah. the dummy is snoring. Right. <laughs> and the little kid is stealing the wallet and putting it in someone else's pocket. I caught yeah. that on my third time through and I thought, that is going to really start some chaos. These kids are bad boys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you look at the cast, it's just a phenomenal cast, really. Yeah. It, is, it, it is. It is phenomenal. And it's, you, you can't, we would be here all evening if we were just going to, you know, go through everybody and uh, the, you know, IMDb and, and that kind of thing. So is there, <laughs> is, is there any characters or any performances other than Eddie, obviously, because we've already mentioned Eddie, uh, that you think is a is an absolute standout in this? I don't, for me personally, no, because the, the, if, if, when you watch it, it, it reminds, I mean, this is for, obviously not for international viewers, but for, for listeners, but for UK ones, it's almost like the fast show. Each scene <laughs> is on for about three or four minutes, and then boom, it's into the next scene, or boom, it's onto the next part of the story. Or, and it, it's so quick and so evolving. And as you said, the, the cast list is so big. I mean, you know, Mickey Rourke is in it. Yeah, it was his, uh, his theatrical debut. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so. You, you go through it and you just go, where does it end with yeah. people? I, for me, I, I, you know, I would say probably uh, Dan Aykroyd because mm -hmm. he's just being Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he, yeah. he started out doing the, the improv scene back in the early 70s and stuff like that. This, this yeah. is where he's getting into films before he does uh, the Blues Brothers. And it's just that, that, that bit particularly where he's doing the uh aircraft cannon um anti-aircraft cannon and he's just going through it as if it's like a sales pitch yeah selling a car and he's going there and you don't press this and then you pull this and you don't do that and you don't do that and you do that and if you do that then this will happen <laughs> the little yeah. kid's rotating it round as he's doing it and he's just absolutely it's almost like in one take he's doing it yeah um yeah, I'd say that his is the standout throughout mm -hmm. the entire thing. Mm -hmm. Believe it or not, this was his theatrical debut also. Oh, I didn't know that. There yeah. you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I love Ned Beatty in this. I think Ned Beatty's fantastic. <laughs> Christopher Lee, Tim Matheson, who's who pretty much carries the sex comedy aspects of this, him and Nancy Allen. Yeah. I, I just think it's... I just think it's done really well. Going back to uh, Robert Stack as General Stilwell, he wasn't Spielberg's, I'm not sure if you, you guys know this, he wasn't Spielberg's first choice. Hmm. Uh, he, Spielberg originally went to John Wayne and uh, Charlton Heston. They both, they both turned uh -huh. it down. 
And then, uh, but John Wayne actually called Spielberg up apparently and tried to get him to drop it completely because John Wayne felt it was uh, unpatriotic. Mm. Yeah. So, See, yeah. even back then, you had, you had the loons. Yeah, yeah. I'm, not a, I'm not a John Wayne fan. <laughs> well, yeah. apparently, uh, well, I mean, I, I don't know if, if how aware you are of whether this is true, Adrian, being from the Navy, but apparently, then John Wayne turned up. Uh, during the war to kind of you know give some some cheer to the uh, yeah he the, did do that that's true and uh, and apparently they booed him yeah mm. <laughs> so yeah but yeah I think Robert was controversial think, yeah very yeah. controversial guy but I think Robert Stack filled it well I mean I can I understand think, why Charleston Heston didn't take it it didn't seem like a Charleston Heston kind of a thing but Robert Stack had that comedy timing where he could kind of do some things like that. It would have been unwatchable if it was John Wayne, I think, for me. Yeah. And then when you, and then when you look at Robert Stack's career after that, I mean, the guy went on to do Airplane. That mm -hmm, guy yeah. has got some serious <laughs> comedy jobs. Yes, he does. Yeah, he really does. And I was so surprised because, you know, like um, watching it for the first time, I want to see all the scenes. And I was like, I, I, I did a double take. I was like, is that Patty LuPone? Is she going to be in it more? Like, is she a main character? Is she just coming in? You know, like, does does she come? In? Nope. They used her for like 12 seconds. Yeah. And she's amazing. And Penny Marshall has lines, but she's not, she's uncredited. You know what I mean? Like I, th those two women I just love and I'm, I was just surprised, but maybe I'll, I picture myself. Oh, well, they were just uh, around Hollywood, maybe making another movie and they, you know, they had a week off or something and they came in for filming or something like that. <laughs> it's possible. I mean, did either of you guys recognize the uh, the motorcycle uh, driver who delivered the message to Stillwell? Mm -mm. The guy that was covered in sand or whatever? Sand yep. and dust. No. Uh -huh. uh, I know he, he came from Barstow, so he was all sandy. It's uh, John Landis. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Is it really? <laughs> yeah, that's why. Uh, that's he why he doesn't look tall enough to be John Landis. I know, but that's why when Belushi goes up to him and says, "Oh, look, a baby wolf," that's because at the mo at that point they were filming American Werewolf in London. That oh my gosh, those funny lines. You know, they really get each other sometimes. Yeah, he uh, apparently had more lines, but they were cut because him and Spielberg had, had a falling out uh, later on with regards to the uh, the Twilight Zone, the movie. I'm not going to go into that here. That's oh, for another yeah. time. But yeah. uh, it, they were put back in the uh, the extended version. Have, have either of you guys seen that one? No, but I hear there's no. more character development for my guy Wally, and I would like to. I'd like to see that. I, I just last night uh, was reading a you know to get my brain into it, and uh, I didn't know there was an extended cut. <laughs> yeah, it's they, they, there's this. I, I have it on Blu-ray. If you, if you get the Blu-ray, you get one disc with the theatrical, one disc with the extended, and there's mm. a brilliant scene where they actually kidnap Hollis Wood. You know, in this one, you just see him just go, you know, let's get him. And the next thing you know, they're boarding him about, uh, they're bringing him aboard the sub. In mm. uh, in the extended version, they actually go to his kind of tree farm. And they're all, all the Japanese soldiers are dressed as Christmas trees. And <laughs> oh, wow. He go, he I see. That's to, how they capture him. Yeah, he goes to try and chop one of them down. And... The soldier just keeps jumping above the axe, and old poor old Hollis can't figure out what's going on. Oh my gosh, that's funny! Because he's a tree. Yeah, 
Oh gosh. Yeah, so every time he swings the axe, the tree jumps over. I mean, it's supposed to be a comedy, and that's the scene they cut. They don't cut yeah. the horrible scenes with Tree Williams. <laughs> I know, I know. It's 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 oh, if well. if you do get a chance, it is it is worth seeing. And I I'm not I know you're not a, a big fan of the the scene at the start, Adrienne, with mm -hmm. the uh, the polar bear club woman. Ugh. Yeah, I mean it's funny since it's the same lady from from Jaws. I mm. get that he's doing uh, his own movie, spoofing it, but it was so phallic. I was just like, oh, really? She's writing a <laughs> submarine thing? Come on! But <laughs> I guess it was all right. Keeps yeah. people interested if you're. That's what you want to see. It's made so. It's made some fans come up with the theory that that's the actual mother of the same woman from Jaws. It's it. Ugh. It's the people, uh, the things that people come up with yeah. to try and, you know, for the head cannon. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it, as, as we were saying, such, such just a phenomenal cast. And I think the fact that a lot of them play it kind of straight, like yeah. Uh, yeah. you mentioned, Robert Lionel Stander, I just yeah. think it works so well. I mean, do you guys have any others? John Belushi. Um, such a quirky character in that and again it was probably his it wasn't he wouldn't have been his day because i think he wasn't he in stripes he was definitely in animal house yeah um but it, it's just again an, an anarchistic sort of character but the, but the, the he is such a comic strip character in it and yes i know that as part of the um, advertising for this, they actually created their own comic strip that looked a bit like the Mad Magazine. Mm -hmm. And he was playing sort of like the, this, this, the all-American stereotype, yeah, let's get the Japs, that kind of thing, yeah? And in this film, he's, he's flying a P-41 Curtis Kitty Hawk, which is a really terrible plane for the, you know, the Americans. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm also a bit of a World War II nerd as well. <laughs> so it was a terrible aeroplane. It was um, a sack of spanners until the um, P-51 and P-47 came out. But anyway, the, the, the point is, he's just an utter lunatic. But you can well imagine that there were probably characters like that in the Air yeah. Force because the, the, the Air Force was such a such a newish concept for 19, you know, for during that time so again his it's 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 just john belushi being john belushi put dressed up as a pilot flying an yeah airplane. well apparently um, that that bit where robert stack says that is the craziest son of a bitch i've ever seen that was actually him talking about belushi and they just kept it in <laughs> oh that's funny I'm not surprised. Probably because he was spitting water on everybody or spitting things out, <laughs> chewing a soggy cigar. And... I love that. The fact that the guy yeah. just, it, it, it's almost like that drink problem in Airplane. Every time yeah. he takes yes. a swing, <laughs> he just spits it out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, this, the scene where they try and lift him up onto the wing of the plane and he falls off the other side. Falls of the off the other side. That, that <laughs> just, that wasn't scripted that just happened anyway he just fell off and they decided to keep it in i think with somebody like belushi you just wind him up let him go and then you just yeah. think yeah we'll keep that we'll keep that so yeah i mean there's, there's just there's just so much going on in this and i mean 
Kubrick suggested that it should have been marketed as a drama rather than a comedy because he just didn't think it was funny. But to this day, I can watch this. And yeah, there are parts that haven't aged well. But regardless mm. of that, by the time the end credits are rolling, there are certain scenes that always, and I mean always, have me crying with laughter. Which ones? Which ones? I'm going to go immediately straight to my avatar. Acro oh, yeah. thinking oh, he's yeah. a bug. That's so funny. I was like, is that, did they leave the camera rolling and the guy's just being a silly head and they put that in there? Or did he crack? Was it meant to be that he cracked? I'm not sure, but that is so funny. I love that. I love that. And I love that. Douglas, don't you dare fire that gun in this house. <laughs> it's just the windows blowing out. I think it, for me personally, it dragged, as I've got older, it drags a little at the start, a little bit more. And I'm not so much interested in the Wally and, you know, yeah. and, and but the, the minute, the minute it gets to, for want of a better, for want of a better term, the dance scene yeah. in, the USO club. Yes. I think it kicks into high gear. And from yeah. that from that point on, I am fully on board. And I just love the hell out of this film. I love that dance scene, to be honest, because it's sort of a, a it, it's just a beautiful moment in the middle of everything. And um, was he going to think about making this a musical for like five minutes? Uh, well, yeah. Yeah. Apparently <laughs> that was the case. They were, one of the comments he made, Spielberg made was, uh, yeah, it, it would have probably worked better if it was a musical. Mm -hmm, I understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, loved, I loved that whole <laughs> USO thing. And the, the James Caan uh, in the one scene, you know, in the as another uncredited actor, you know, starting yeah. a fight. <laughs> yeah. Of course, he's going to start a fight. <laughs> and it's just, the, I mean, the, 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 there's such long takes during that mm -hmm. fight scene that yeah. it's so hard to get right and then if you oh, if they right. foul up the setup on that so i just can't yeah. fault spielberg's direction on that I, oh, yes no. and it, the it camera be... work is amazing oh Ooh, camera beautiful. work is wonderful the, i mean the, the, they're all having this fight in the in the dance club and, it, and you think this cannot get any worse and then the next thing it cuts to outside and there's one guy saying come on let's get him and then there's just huge you know <laughs> hundreds of people running down the street and the amount of things that's going on at the same time, as I'm watching it, even to this day, especially you know when you when you take into account the fights in the street and where the tanks going through the uh, the paint factory, and you think <laughs> surely there must have been at least a couple of people really injured on this thing. It's yeah, just... and and it didn't look like some of the guys fell off. Yeah, yeah, right in the street, kunk kunk. I didn't, yeah, I couldn't find anything. I looked and I was like, was anybody injured on this movie? But no, didn't yeah, I've, anything. Bumps and I've bruises. Been, yeah, I've been looking it up because you just think surely people must have, the, the injuries on this must have been something <laughs> chronic. It's like something from a Jackie Chan movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny, yeah. Oh. I, mean, I mean, Spielberg regretted seeding control of some of the action scenes and miniature sequences such as the ferris wheel collapse uh, but i think this i think they hold up really really well mm -hmm. i think they do too and it kind of <laughs> adds to the camp you know yeah i i, I think i think it, that that was well well done actually you know imagine if you've tried to do that and 
real life. But it, it's it's like one of those things that you, you can't when you see it, you can't then unsee it. Yeah. So all of those scenes with the with the with the airplanes in it, with the Ferris wheel. Yeah. But then going back to one of Spielberg's films in the future, um, so Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, where they're having the uh, the, the minecart chase. Now, when I was a kid, I watched that. It was amazing. And then I watched this program on how they did that. So I was like, oh, I love it. Oh, no, it's animation. Yeah. And, and you watch it again, you go, oh, my God, it looks really, really bad. And yeah. then you watch this and you go, yeah. They didn't move on that much, did they, really? Yeah. From 79 through to, like, 85. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Roll on CGI. I, <laughs> see, I... I... I really like it. I th- I, yeah. I I think when when it's when the two planes are kind of dogfighting down the street, mm-hmm. I just think it looks <laughs> to me it still looks beautiful. I mean, who was it? Uh, L. B. Abbott and A. D. Flowers who were in charge of the uh, the special effects, and it were nominated for uh, an Academy Award. Mm. And I th- I just think it. Even now, to me, maybe it's because I, you know, I saw it as I was a kid, and I've grown up. And you know what it's like. You look at things from back when you were a kid, and they still look good. I mean, I can watch sequences in Howard the Duck and think, "Oh, that looks all right." And then, <laughs> you know, I was, the other day I was watching Lord of the Rings, and some of the CG, you think, "Oh, it's mm. fraying a bit around the edges now." So, yeah, I just, I just love it. As I say, as soon as it hits that section at the USO Club from then on with the exception of maybe that you know the treat williams subplot mm. i just think it, it that's when it it really hits its stride and i don't think it lets up mm-hmm. mm. yeah uh yeah so going on to the uh the soundtrack the sound design and this apparently yeah. is one of spielberg's favorite soundtracks and hmm. it it is extremely catchy and i'm i'm a I'm a bit of a soundtrack buff myself. I don't own this. I've never, I've never owned it. But there are certain times I will end up, for some reason, humming the main march from this, and it, mm. it's just completely out of the blue. And I think it's one of those that sticks with you. It's, it's just kind of catchy. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's one of those where it, it's catchy. It, it's, it's following the genre of the time. Um. Of, of the 1940s of, of sort of, you know, swing and, and, and stuff like that. Um, and Glenn Miller and it's bringing a sort of, I wouldn't say a modern spin because there's no synths in there, bearing in mind it was like 79. But it, it, as they said, when they were writing it, they were saying it is, it is military music, but upbeat. You know, mm-hmm. you, yeah. you'd never get a British version of it. It would be too solemn. But this, yeah. for American, it works. It's like, yes, this is fun. This is happy. And almost in a way, probably at the time, that even though, it, I mean, I'm going into my deep A-level um, <laughs> film Yeah, let's do it. Now. Yeah, let's, like, let's, let's do it. Going, okay, here's the juxtaposition. You, you, at, at the point that they're making this music, you could almost say, right, America is entering World War Two. They're going into Europe first, even though they, they also need to do um, the Pacific as well in terms of the Japanese. But there's this like almost gung-ho element of it. Yeah, war is bad, but we're going to war. It's going to happen. Let's go for it. 
um, and everybody's involved. And there's like a theme throughout the music that, that's, 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 that's carried all the way through mm -hmm. um, to give you that element of upbeatness. And yeah. That's probably the only why I got a D. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, one element that I do like about this, it doesn't, it doesn't intrinsically put one side as superior to any other kind of nationality, if you know what I mean. Everybody's yeah. crazy. Everybody's insane. Everybody, to some extent, is a bunch of morons. Yeah. And I do yeah. like that about this. It doesn't say, oh, the Americans are better or the, you know, the, the Germans are really efficient. Mm -hmm. I mean, one of the things I read while reading this, that uh, Christopher Lee's character and uh, Toshiro Mifune's character, what, mm. as you can see the subtitles on the screen, they're obviously not needing a translator between them. And basically mm. all it is, is each one understands the other's language, but they're just stubborn and refusing to, you know, acknowledge the yeah, fact that yeah. they do understand each other's language. Every, everybody in this has their little flaw. And that's what I do love about this. Mm -hmm. Nobody mm. comes out as, I mean, obviously there are people that come out a lot worse, but nobody mm. comes out about this unscathed as it were. Mm, mm. That and I think it sums it up where the guy runs on screen and starts shooting, and he says, "What are you shooting at?" And he says, "I don't know. Whatever they're shooting at." <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they don't know which way they're shooting or what's happening. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it is over the top, and it's it's one of the reasons that I love it. But it has proved very divisive. I mean, I'm, I'm going to speak to you as a a military person here, Adrian. Have you did you find that element offensive? Um, uh, just that it was a comedy. Yeah. Uh no, because it's a comedy. It's clearly a comedy. You know, there's lots of goofball military comedies. You know, there was mm. what was that show, Hogan's Heroes and stuff like that. Like mm. there's goofball stuff that has to be made about everything for uh, us humans uh, uh, with diverse brains to stay sane. But yeah. no, I didn't. It was clearly a comedy. It wasn't disrespectful. It was the goofball. I mean, yeah, it has it has proved very divisive. But I will I will say that there's there's a couple of fantastic uh, things I found online. First one is uh, an article uh, by Mark Hughes in Forbes magazine, December 2011, and this refers back to what you said right at the start. I think it was you, Rob. It says 1941 is not just one of the best Christmas films ever. <laughs> but one of the best comedies ever made this is for laughs for the grown-ups it's not a family film mm. and they they just love it but the 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 one that stands out and i i was just flicking through and i would say 90 percent of the reviews on letterbox for this film are really bad they just it's just not liked whatsoever it is very divisive but I did find this one, and forgive me if I mispronounce your name, but it's by Justin DeClue on Letterboxd, and his review starts off, everyone screams at the top of their lungs for 146 minutes. If you see something, it will be destroyed. When a person walks on screen, they will be punched, thrown to the ground, or knocked over. There are no peaks or valleys, just incessant, endless, numbing gunfire. He gave it four stars. <laughs> and I just think that is a perfect review because it is. And even when it comes down to the end credits, I mean, he, he does say later on in the review, even the end credits have explosions. But even prior yes. to that, 
when you've got the like the cast list when it when it's bringing up the clips, the majority of them are just screaming. Oh yeah, that was that was the end credits, wasn't it? Yeah, that was funny. The end credits, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, when it comes to the legacy of this one, I mean, it's it's going to probably be a little harder for you, Adrian, with regards to this because you've only just experienced it for the first time. But when it comes to the legacy, what do you think as nineteen forty one as a, a as a piece of film and b as a cult classic status? I mean, in your opinion, does it deserve its cult classic status? Do you think it holds up to? to kind of other films, especially the comedies of the time, or is it something that you'd rather gloss over and you'll probably never come back to? No, I think it's important to, to see it. I think it's important to analyze it uh, I, in the world of film. I mean, it, it has uh, so many great actors, but still, you know, you could talk about why was it panned? You know, could a different director have taken it in different directions? You just can't, you know, compare it to Steven Spielberg's other genius mm. pictures but yeah it's definitely a, a cult classic i mean it, it, i feel more more uh film educated ever since i watched it so i'm glad i did it personally i think it should be a, a cult classic see and you hear you heard that from an american who is in the military folks so you know, <laughs> just, <laughs> what if what about you rob i think it is uh, yeah as I said before it's a christmas classic particularly in my heart um, and I know that that is, that's one of those things when everybody sort of takes a Mickey out of Die Hard saying whether it's a Christmas film or not. It is. It, it is. Definitely, it definitely yeah. is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. There's, there's no yeah. way, you know, other way of looking at it. And, and this is, to me, this is as well. Um, it's odd. It's strange. I, yes. even after watching it again, after not seeing it for like 20 years, it still put a grin on my face and there was bits that I was um laughing away at that i hadn't noticed before um i totally agree that the, the trent williams stuff um yeah that i was uncomfortable watching those bits i was going i don't remember this yeah um but yeah it, it's definitely a cult classic it's one of those i think to me this is better than stripes um in terms of you know comedy films and stuff like that um about the military um so as far as i'm concerned it's, it's, it's a good film everybody should watch it um if anything to see how things have changed see how humor has changed to see whether this was actually ahead of its time or not as well um so yeah i i, I think it's a great film and and everybody should watch it should try it <laughs> nice one so uh yeah so what we'll do now we'll move on to our, uh, our personal highlights uh so i'm gonna go straight in and ask uh you guys if there's a character or portrayal in this that outshines all others so I'll, I'll come to you first for this rob what about what about you who's your mvp in this dan Aykroyd. i love i love him as an actor and even though he's kind of stepping out of um out of acting and stuff like oh he's making a comeback in the new um new uh uh ghostbusters film yeah it, it to me it's just it's it's the dan Aykroyd of saturday night live mm. of being the salesman that bit on the uh aircraft uh anti-aircraft cannon yeah that to me is superb when he's inside the when he's doing the speech about saying 
you know, what do what do we need to do if there's an air raid here? We need to knock out those lights. It's just so surreal and stupid, and that's why yeah. he's shooting the lights out and stuff like that. Um, and then when he gets hit by the uh, by the Santa Claus thing, and goes, "I'm a bug." It's yeah. just sort of seeing the juxtaposition between him being serious. <laughs> this is how you need to do something to being sort of I could be stupid and zany at the same time. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, yeah, it's, for me, it's Dan Aykroyd. Anything that any scene he is in, he just steals it, captures yeah. it. That's Definitely. I'm so that, that for me, is the, that is the main takeaway from this. Cool. What about you, Adrian? Well, um, I only really cared about one character at the end of the movie, and that was uh, Bobby DeCiso's Wally. Um, really? I the only one, well, because he's the only one who had a heart. He he cared about uh, his girl. He he didn't want her to be get hurt. Um, he's the one I care about. But if you're going to give it to acting and and a star, then yeah, I give it to um, uh, I give it to uh, Dan Aykroyd too, because he what well, he saves a movie. You know Dan Aykroyd's character, but the only one I care about that has a heart is Wally. It's Wally. Yeah, That's he's the one. I, he's the one I like, and I, I. Everybody else was being, you know, assholeish. <laughs> 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 and you know, and and Dan Aykroyd gave it to Wally. He wasn't even on active duty. He wasn't in the military. He took a lot of flack, but he gave it to him in the in the end, and he mm. was the one giving the orders. And I liked that twist. Um, and you know, oh, yeah. Wally was a patriot because even though he got a lot of flack for wearing the Hawaiian shirt in the restaurant, it still had American flags on it. So he was yeah. still a patriot. He still cared about his country. He cared about his girlfriend. He wasn't being horrible to, to her like uh, Treat Williams' character was. So I like him. But for acting, it, it would be Dan Aykroyd. I think he carried it. I, I do have to say, I do like that little trope that they played upon. I said, you've got to knock out those lights, kid. And then like yeah. 10 minutes later, you've got to take out that sub. Yeah. I think we hit it. How can you tell it's going down? It's going down, <laughs> yeah. Oh, Sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've got to agree with Rob on this. It's got to have to be Dan Aykroyd as Frank Tree for me. Just every single time. I mean, I've I've seen this several times. I've watched this several times with my wife. And every single time where he straps those oranges to his face and starts pretending he's a bug, I crease up laughing. And my wife <laughs> now no longer watches the film. She just looks at me with this weird kind of... <laughs> What is wrong with you, view? Because it's so childish. But I just, I just love it. There you go. Okay, do what you love. So, yeah. So, moving on from that, what's your? Uh, do you have a, a favorite aspect to the film? Whether it be, you know, the script, a particular scene, anything like that. And I'll go to you first on this one, Adrian. Any, anything that you just think, oh, that's just beautiful. I love the score and the cinematography, but I did a lot of listening to it. So I'm going to give it to the the music. Yeah. Fair and the enough. 40s style, you know, marches and the music and the score. Cool. What about you, Rob? I think anything that happens in that house, what, what's the what's the character's name? So Ed Beatty is, is the guy. Ward. And then Ward. He, he, Ward. 
Yeah. But it's his suffering wife. Joan. Yeah. Joan. Lorraine Gray yeah, character, like, yeah. Joan, I'm not Joan having, and Ward. Uh, yeah. No guns in this house, what I said. The <laughs> great big cannon that gets, the house gets destroyed each time he's trying to fire it. Um, that, for me, is another, is another beautiful takeaway um, for the film, because it's just sort of... <laughs> What's he doing? What does he think he can achieve? But he doesn't <laughs> care. I've got a big gun. I'm going to do this. Uh, I'm. I think my favourite bit of this is the dance scene and everything that ensues from there on. I just think it's shot so well. It's mm. got a fan. You know, it's got a yeah. couple of fantastic Rube Goldbergs in there. I just, I just think it's done really, really well. So, mm. so yeah, I'm gonna. I'll go with that. And uh, and yeah, those are our personal highlights from this. But what about you? What did you out there think? As always, to answer that, I'm going to go over to my cult classics girl Friday, Sandy, for the answers to this one. Hi. And, hiya. And it seems to have been one of those, I'm not going to say divisive titles, but it was pretty clear that if you like this one, you really like it. And if you don't, well, less said the better. Isn't that right, Sandy? Yes, that it does seem to be the con the non consensus. Yeah, can I ask? Have, have you seen this? Uh, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on it? I have not seen this one. It does um, seem to have flown under my radar, and I'm surprised because it's got a lot of people in it that I really like. Uh, well, I mean, this, the the consensus in the studio here is it's not too bad. So, I, I mean, I would recommend it, but as always, your mileage may vary. So. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So what does our uh, our audience have to say on this one? Well, we have some feedback from David uh, Kazmierski. He said some parts are great. Some parts are boring. It's silly. But he still did give it three stars. Cool. Um, Michael J.K. says, I think it's a great movie. It's loud and boisterous and crazy. And it's actually in his top 50. Um, Aaron Vaughn. Tato says it needs like 30 minutes trimmed out of it, but he says he's always enjoyed it. Uh, Ken Masterson said it was a great movie, that he has uh, loved it. And uh, Leroy O. Jackson, it's not a bad movie. It's just too long and not funny. It definitely was an ego project for Spielberg, and you can tell he thinks he's making a classic for the ages. I think the fact it didn't do all that well really humbled him. And then a few more here from Nathan John. It's hard to find for streaming. Uh, so he wasn't able to give much of an opinion on it, but I'm going to look for it. Uh, John P. Malloy said the scene where Wally gets his zoot suit should have been in the first cut. So I guess there was some deleted scenes. Uh, Matt Rasnick says, I love it. I never understood the hate it got, but I also saw it much later than it was released. I feel like sometimes movies aren't in sync with the country's mood at the time. And Thomas G. Baker also loved the movie. Uh, Rick Cowling says he's only ever seen it a couple of times. It's okay, but not great. I don't think it deserved the absolute panning it got from critics, though. Glenn Brooks says once and only once. Once was too many, no stars. It's just a black hole in an otherwise stellar career. And Douglas Reynolds was feeling along his line saying, terrible movie. Uh, Michael Palmer said he actually watched this at the cinema when it came out. And those views are always interesting. But he, he said, I cannot remember a thing about it. 
unless the vague <laughs> image of John Belushi refueling his plane at a highway petrol station is from this, not an SNL thing. Warren Green said, love John Belushi in it, as well as Dan Aykroyd. And Kristen Bennett says, four stars. It's very good. Stanley Surachek says he loved this movie, so underrated. And Dave Kovac said he liked it. Kubrick told Spielberg it would have done better if it hadn't been advertised as a comedy. <laughs> 1941 is an absolutely brilliant movie. Brilliant, says Jason Slater. And Tim Wynn said he's always loved the movie and thought it was a very funny, great cast and that Ned Betty makes it. Yep, that's the last one. Oh, brilliant. Well, uh, I'll leave it to you to uh, to track down Sandy, and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what you think on that one. But, Sounds uh, great. Yes, it's, it's, as I say, your mileage may vary. Some love it, some hate it. Um, I seem to fall into the, uh, well, you'll, you'll, you'll see soon anyway. But uh, <laughs> as always, thank you for that, Sandy, and I'll, I'll see you next episode. As always, thanks to you guys out there for taking the time to let us know your opinions. As always, it's much appreciated. I'd especially like to give a shout out to those in the Long Live John Candy group on Facebook for providing some much needed perspective on this one. And if you've got a batting <laughs> urge to give us your opinion on this but feel you've missed out, don't worry. You can always hit us up on our social media to let us know your thoughts. So with that, as always, it's time to give our final score out of five for this one. So, uh, yeah, Rob, I'm going to come to you because you you were the one that, you know, I really wanted to get on this episode. What are your final thoughts <laughs> out of five for this? Well, for me, it's a five. You Ooh. know, it, it, even after watching it, um, after not watching it for like 20 odd years and then coming back to it when I saw the list go, it said, I really love that film. I, you know, I want to be on this, um, on, on this podcast with you to do it. Um, the memories all came flooding back. Uh, as far as I can and then looking at it in a different light it gave me a different perspective to look at things um, on how the film was made how it was produced who were the people involved and stuff like that stuff that you know 20 odd years ago 30 odd years ago Christ, uh, maybe even 40 odd years ago I wasn't really all that bothered about now I am um, and so intrigued on how those things happen so for me yeah, I'm. I'm happy to give this one a five. Really, really am. Nice one. What about you, Adrienne? I give it a three out of five stars. <laughs> it it didn't deserve two, and it and it didn't deserve four or five in my brain. So I give it a mm -hmm. three. I still think it's watchable, but you know, compared to all the other movies out there <laughs> that you should watch and really enjoy, this one gets three. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so uh, bear in mind, you know, it's me, so it's one of my conclusions, so uh, boy, am I in trouble now. Uh, Humour is subjective, and watching this recently, I can understand why so many just don't get on with it. It's certainly problematic in places, and the first half hour or so does drag a little. The slapstick's overabundant, it's bloated, it's overindulgent, and it's a noisy, chaotic, overstimulated mess. And I freaking love it. <laughs> yes, it's aged badly in some respects. It's got the stamp of a bunch of over-enthused teens let loose. But while some may find the number of characters and plot lines to be too much, 
to me just adds to the sheer insanity of the production maybe it's because i came to this at an early age but even now when i watch it i'm just in awe of how crazy it is it looks beautiful which i don't think anyone can deny the model work i think i think is great direction editing are on point and william score is a classic some of the performances may not be the best. The characters are annoying slash unlikable and the script has its share of problems. And it's, you know, apologies to those out there. Very American and it's scattershot, throw everything at the wall and see what sticks approach. Maybe it would be more funny with less slapstick and allowing the characters to breathe. But honestly, I think it would lose some of its appeal to me personally with that. It's insane. And as I said earlier, if there was ever a movie that could best be described as a live-action Muppet show, this is it. It's the closest thing to uh, how my mind works a great deal of the time, and that's probably not a good thing. It's <laughs> it's far from perfect, and, you know, many of the inverted comma jokes fall flat, but enough hit for me that at the end of this, I'm crying with laughter every single time. And for something I've seen this often, that's not a bad thing, surely. So uh, chin up, Spielberg. It still works for the most part for me. And I'm going to give it a 3.5 out of uh, <laughs> 5, which which leads to an average of, oh, God, Sandy's going to love this. It's it's not a whole number. It's 3.83 recurring. That's the average <laughs> for, uh, for 1941 on Cult Classic. So uh, what do you guys think? Respectable enough? Yeah, mm. I think so for sure. Cool. Yeah. I mean, I've got to be honest, when the audience feedback started coming in for this one, I thought it was going to be pretty unanimous on the negative side. And mm. it, it did feel a bit, a little like us, you know, <laughs> apologies, pissing in the wind. So it is nice to see that it does have some who appreciate it. It may be a, a divisive one, depending on personal taste. But while it's not perfect, I don't think it's quite the unmitigated disaster some make it out to be. Well, that's it for this one. Hopefully we've kept you guys out there in the real world entertained, at least for a short while, and helped you to see that things aren't so bad at this time of the year. Either that or they could be worse. It just leaves me to thank my uh, my guests, Rob and Adrian, for joining me on this one. So uh, first up, cheers, Rob. Thanks for uh, for joining us. That's all right. Thank you, very, thank you for inviting me. So, uh, so you're up for coming back at some point, yeah? Oh, yeah. Easy, easy. Nice one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, anything you'd like to draw attention to or plug while you're here? Any Anyone you'd like to give a shout-out to or social media? You did mention it at the start. If you want to give us a, another another go. Did I? Yeah. So, dad, rest in dad face. Yeah, you're, oh, yeah, rest, you're, oh, yeah. So on Twitter, I'm known as... Uh, I call myself resting dad face. I have the grand total of 34 followers. It would be nice if that went up, but it's just... <laughs> Basically, political views and satire, as far as I'm concerned. Um, well, maybe some of our also... kind listeners will, uh, will jump on. <laughs> and uh, what's the other one? Uh, and I also, I also did a very bad, uh, uh, what do you call it, uh, YouTube channel. A grand total of seven episodes of me and uh, the infamous Steve Lysett. Um, driving around Scotland, uh, talking about whiskey, politics, uh, chips, and uh, some beautiful <laughs> scenery. You can find that on uh, YouTube, Team BS, Team Bob and Steve. As I said, seven episodes. If you suffer from insomnia, there is seven <laughs> hours of footage of us talking rubbish 
but some of the most stunning scenery uh, you'll see in the British Isles. So there you go. There's another oh, plug. <laughs> oh, fantastic! Well, I'll get I'll get the I'll get both of those links in the description so people can can get them easily. What about you, Adrian? Anything uh, you want to plug while you're here? Uh, I'm still on Twitter at al park tucker two. Um, it's very political. Sorry about that. Some maybe a couple dog videos or cat videos or something. Um, <laughs> and I'm also here uh, with you guys talking about movies and Star Trek. And we wouldn't have it any other way. All right. So, uh, yeah, and as always, thank you out there for joining us today. Hope you've enjoyed it. If we've piqued your interest in the movie or just kept you company during these wet, grey weeks and you'd like to show your appreciation, then please drop us a tip in our coffee account. Link in the description. And as always, any suggestions, careful now, drop a line in the comments section or on social media. And don't forget to like, subscribe and share. I'm uh, doffing my metaphorical cap to you. Now, we'll be back same time, same place next month. That's right, <laughs> on the uh, on the first Tuesday of the month, which is the, uh, the 5th, I believe, we'll be back to look at a predecessor to one of the most anticipated movie releases of this year. I'll not say much else, only that I'm sizing up my rubber underpants as we speak. So uh, join us then, and don't forget to bring your bucket and spade. And in the meantime, have a great month, folks. We'll see you soon, and remember... There are five basic components to the new General Electric refrigerator. One, the Freon compressor. Two, the Freon tube. You have been listening to the Cult Classics Show, part of the Silver Screen Podcast. Created, written, and hosted by TK. Produced by Mike Wilson. Editing by Nick. Feedback section produced by Sandy Evanson. Opening credits by Ian Sanderson. Music by Timeless Journey. Follow us on social media. Links to all of our social media pages can be found on our link tree. This podcast is part of the Mike's Podcast Network. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Silver Screen Podcast or Mike's Podcasts. And don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. Thank you for joining us. We hope to see you next time. And remember... No matter where you go, there you are.